Well, good morning. It's great to be here on the last Sunday of the year. And you realize numerically what the day is? It's 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 12, 31st. 23rd day. I said that to a friend who loves numerology. He'll, he loves kind of like when his, you know, when all the numbers turn over on the, on the speedometer. And I sent it to him and I said, hey, happy one, two, three, one, two, three. And he goes, oh, it's called Waltz Day. I thought, Waltz Day. Oh, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. That is the only time a sermon's ever been started with a geeky ballroom dancing joke. And it's the last time. I'm never going to do that again. Um, we're in between message series. We, uh, we just finished up with uh, the series Retro Christmas, where we looked at the prophecies uh, in the Old Testament. And next week, as, uh, uh, as Becca mentioned, we're going to launch into a series called Beyond a Shadow of Doubt. That's where we look at uh, faith and just the challenges of developing and maintaining a faith in this, this modern uh, world. Our pastors deserve breaks, and they deserve more than what we typically probably are able to give them. But this is one of those. So for Adam and, and uh, for Reed, somebody to step in for the, the, uh, the week and speak. That's what, what I'm doing. And about two months ago, I sat down with Adam and um, I said, you know, we're, since we're in between series, is there something, he said, you can speak whatever you want. And I said, well, is there something that you've been wanting to talk about, but you haven't had, uh, just haven't had the time? And he goes, well, one thing people have been asking me about is uh, a biblical perspective and my perspective on the war that is going on right now between Israel and the Israeli conflict in, uh, in the Hamas. And I thought, yeah, a good, nice light topic in the year. Let's, let's go with that one. Um, but it was intrigued me a little bit, and, but I wasn't really sure what direction we go. I didn't know, or is it biblical perspective? Is it about prophecy? Is it, uh, is it, should it be about what our, our Christian response should be to that? One way or the other, I thought I'd dig in and, and I would start looking at this. Now, one of the things I like about our church is that every Sunday, <clears throat> when you hear the message, whoever it is that's up here, I think you'd be hard-pressed at the end of that time to go, wow, that was, that was pretty right-leaning, or wow, that was pretty left-leaning, or, or in the middle. We choose to not address political issues uh, up here. We are, if we're going to lean anywhere, we're going to Jesus lean. Uh, that doesn't sound right, though. That sounds like if somebody asks you, which way do you lean? Well, kind of towards Jesus, you know, a little bit. You know, we lean all in. We want to be all in. Uh, if we're going to fulfill our mission to reach this community for Christ, that means we don't take political stances. Uh, some churches do. That's their, their prerogative. That's certainly their perspective. And it's fine to have political and social issues. In fact, I think that's really, that's really important. But we choose to rally around that Christ is Lord and Savior and address everything through that filter. But... As I looked into that issue of the, uh, the, the war in Israel right now, which is this terrible, horrendous bloodletting, and it's, there, it, everything about it is terrible. It is so complex, though, I just couldn't find any way to address that, but I did want to still use that as an example. And so it's an example to talk about this. Life... It's complicated. Solutions are rarely simple, but God is about solving big problems. Life is complicated. Solutions are rarely simple. God is about solving big problems. Now, I want to start with a question, though. 
what would you say are the, the worst words you can think of? I mean, if you think about the world's problems, what are the absolute worst words, the most horrendous, the most toxic, the most, uh, the most dangerous? Think of one or two. All right, my guess is it's up here. Right? Hate, prejudice, war, discrimination, on and on and on. I thought we were going to add New England Patriots. <laughs> Remember when that used to matter? Here's the thing about that list of words, though. I guarantee you, your eyes went to a few particular words. And they weren't necessarily the words that the person next to you focused in on. But you looked at those and you said, huh, not only would I include them on the list, I've lived those words. Right? There are things that just come that you, that you have experienced and they have shaped you. They've deformed you. At times they've destroyed parts of your life. Those conditions, those situations, those actions. But I've come to believe the most dangerous world, word in the world is not up there. Now, those are important because that one word becomes the justification for all of those. And it also points to why it is so hard to solve those. Here's that one word. There it is, that terrible four-letter word. What I think is the most dangerous word in the world. Not understanding it? Let me put it into context. Let's look at the list of the words again. You know, if you would just leave him, the abuse would stop tomorrow. You know, if you would just put the drugs down, your life will immediately go the other direction. You know, if you would just forgive them and move on, you're going to be a lot happier. You know... If you just get out, get into the sun, get out and get, get some exercise, that depression is not going to be the issue that it is right now. If you would just fill in the blank. See why the word's so dangerous? It's because that word has the uncanny ability to make the most complex problems have seemingly simple solutions. It encourages us to take shortcuts hoping that what looks overwhelming to us, actually, it's pretty elementary. Just do this. Ever hear the saying, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? Sort of like that. We pound away at the complex problems in our life like they have simple solutions. And my faith and your faith and our lives, they are not simple. Our faith is complicated. I don't know where you're at in your your journey. I don't know whether you're the most mature believer in this room or the journey starts today. And obviously everywhere everywhere in between. But there's nothing shallow about it. An immediate member of my family, I ministered to that person for years and years and years and got nowhere. Just wasn't going to happen. And then that individual was sitting one day with an old man that he had just met. I mean, just met. Minutes before, the old man decided to share testimony. 
And he said, as a Christian, he said, you know, I think everybody thinks about being a Christian is about the things that you can't do. And I just kind of always look at them as the things you get to do. Boom. It's all it took. It's all it took. That, that one phrase. But it wasn't just, a, it's like, my goodness, I shared scripture, all these different things. It wasn't that all of a sudden the simplicity of that, it was the intersection. It was the intersection of the message and the need. And it was complicated and the moment had, had come. But it wasn't just saying it in, in that way. We just don't necessarily know when the intersection is coming because life complicates it every step of the way. The Israeli-Palestinian situation, conflict, war is a perfect, painful example of our desire for a simple answer to a complex situation. Um, about 10 days ago, I practiced this sermon. We call it Preach It Early, Pi. Um, and so anybody that speaks up here, we'll preach it early, and the, uh, the, the pastoral staff sits in, critiques it, gives us ideas. And so I was going to dig in really into detail about the Palestinian uh, and Israeli conflict. And so I had done all my research, and I had all of this history up here. And, uh, and, and there's, a, there's a timer right back there. I'm sure you know that. That is, is we usually have 28 to 29 minutes to speak. So I started in to explain the history of this land known as Canaan, Judah, Israel, Palestine. And I got about halfway through the history and looked up, and I was out of time. I had no time left. I had probably 30, 40 minutes at that point left. Now, I know my audience. I know that you have children back there that are about ready. They're about ready for a nap. And, and if they don't have that nap, their heads are going to turn around backwards, right? Yeah. I know that over in Bridge Kids, where I spend a lot of my time, you know, we absolutely love your elementary kids for maybe a half an hour. Um, and then it's time for you to come and get them. I also know, too, that you're going to go eat when you're done here. And if you get to Cracker Barrel and they're out of hash brown casserole, <laughs> that's not going to be on me. I am not going to, I am not going to live with that. I'm not going to have you, any of you go, hey, remember that time Dan talked about, it? don't ever say that name again, because of him I had to eat grits. I will never eat grits again. So anyway, we're going to go through the history, but we're not going to go through it in the billions of details that I did. 10 days ago. But I got to show you this because the complexity of that issue can't be completely understood unless you look at the history behind that. But, but all we're going to be able to do is just very quickly go through that. It begins with Abraham being called by God into, into the land that is now Israel, 1700 years BCE. That's before current events or before, uh, before common era. BCE used to be BC. And then we go Exodus, King David, Solomon, uh, first temple built, nation divides into Judah, Israel, Assyrians conquer uh, Israel. Next one, uh, Babel, uh, the Babylonians conquered uh, Judah, temples destroyed, Jews are exiled, they return. Second temple's built, Alexander the Great, Greeks come in, they take over. Then the Jews rule themselves. In about a period of about 3,000 years in here, Jews only, the, the Jews only had self-rule for about 70 or 80 years. Romans invade for 400 years, it's the Romans. Uh, Byzantine rule, that's Romans as well. Arab rule, the Crusades. Mamluk, which I think is up near Cleveland. I don't know where that is. Uh, 
uh, Ottoman rule, British rule. Now we're into the, the 20th century. UN, after the end of the war, Jews are looking for places to go. They've been persecuted. The Holocaust has happened. In a vote of 33 countries to 13 against to 10 abstentions, the UN wants to establish a Jewish state, immediately have civil war, mass Jewish immigration, mass expulsion of Palestinians, a Sinai award there, another war in 1967. Uh, keep going. Yom Kippur War in 73. Camp David Accords, uh, which was Jimmy Carter, Menachem Begin, and uh, Anwar Sadat. Uh, some peace uh, in the area. Palestinian independence declared. Oslo Accords didn't really work. Gaza War. And now on October 7th, 2023, Hamas comes out of the area of Gaza and they attack. And let me show you a, a, a map here just to explain that. Uh, this is where that war is occurring. Uh, for the most part, but it, it spread to some other areas. But most of that happened in there. They came out of that area of Gaza, uh, murdered about 1,300 uh, Jews, uh, took hostages of about 200. And now, in the time since then, there have been in this area about 20,000 deaths to Palestinians, some of them the Hamas fighters, an awful lot of them just civilians, and about 8,000 of them children. That's the, that's the history. A little bit more about the geography. If you were to put Israel in the middle of the United States, that's how much room it would take up. Israel is one-fifth the size of our neighbor, Kentucky. It, you could travel from here to there in about four hours, and at the widest point, it, it would be like leaving here and going to downtown Cincinnati. It is not large. It's a nuclear power. All of that com- makes everything so complicated, and it's so complicated that as you sit there right now, you go, what's the answer? And you know what the answer is? No one knows. Some people want a just solution And other people just want a solution. But right now, there's neither. Right now, there's only hatred, there's distrust, there's grief, there's helplessness. Helplessness. We could look at this strictly from the point of power and politics, and it's hard to conclude anything other than this conflict will exist throughout our entire lives and far beyond. Now, not to be selfish, but let's get back to you. I hope that now you can relate to how difficult all it is to make sense of our greatest problems. And it's just not international problems on that huge scale. It's our own problems. Are our problems complex? Yeah, they really are. Before we go any further, let's let some hope seep into this. Because where we're going with this message is what I stated earlier. God is about solving big problems problems. The Bible is full of imperfect people struggling with complicated issues. If you were here on Christmas Eve and heard Adam speak, and when he talked about the complexity of the lineage of of Jesus and and the imperfect people that were involved in that, and and it, it took miracles for us to get to that point of a Savior. In fact, it was a miracle. But it wasn't an easy, straight path. Remember the story that Jesus tells, and it's in the, the book of Mark, of the rich young man who comes to Jesus. And, and, and when he comes to them, Jesus can uh, tell that this is a, 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 is a special person because this person 
says he falls in front of Jesus' feet and asks him what he needs to inherit eternal life. Now, at this point, we only know two things about this young man. He's young. He's got cash. That's it. That's all we really know. But we know he must have heard about Jesus. This is important that he's getting to, to, to meet Jesus. He, he wants something of what Jesus is offering. So he comes there and he falls down before him. And he asks this. He says, looking at the man, Jesus, first of all, this is important too. Jesus felt genuine love for him. I don't know whether you've watched The Chosen, but if you haven't, go home and watch The Chosen because it has humanized um, the, the deity of Christ in a way that I've never seen anything else on TV be able to do it. Because so many times when we read it, we sense a distance between us and Christ. And all of a sudden, we just see this human side of him and the compassion. And even here, it says, he felt genuine love for this young man. And I want you to think about it in that way, because that changes how you read this next part. Because Jesus looks at him and he says, and it wasn't, he didn't say just, he can go, well, this is just this one thing you lack. He said, there is still one thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now, this has been used oftentimes as a sign. It's like, well, the, the, the evils of money, and, and even Jesus comes back and says, you know, it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't even know that's what it, whether that's what it's about. It's partly about what he's got, but that's all we know about the guy. I mean, we don't really know what else is going on in his life. Maybe Greed has something to do with the decision, but maybe also he was going to have to walk away from family. He was probably going to be disowned if he followed Jesus, and so there's a good chance he was going to lose those relationships. Maybe it was responsibilities. If he had a lot of money, maybe he, had, he employed people, and he didn't want to let his family down because of the income, didn't want to let employees down. Maybe he just knew himself too well. Maybe he had tried to walk away from this before and just wasn't strong enough. Maybe he just knew himself too well. For certain, he wasn't figuring in that God is about big things. All he looked at it was the problem, and it's just too complex for him to overcome it. I, in my mind, I'm hoping that when this is over, because we don't know what else happened, that maybe Jesus said, hey, John, go get him. I'm going to talk to him again. And, and maybe he was able to talk him into looking at faith in a different way. But Jesus says right after this, hey, this is hard. Yeah, it's about wealth, but it's, it's only one example. Finding faith in the midst of life's challenges is hard for different people in different ways, and different things get in the way. Solutions become complex. For all of us, it's not simply just do this, and everything will be fine. It ain't a Nike ad. So where do we take this? Where is the hope? Well, I want to suggest a similar approach to the obstacles that maybe on a world stage would do us well, but that stand in the way of just simply growing our faith. Four actions meant to clear our path. And here's the first one. Seek God's first step. Oftentimes when we look at things, we're trying to look for the solution. We're looking for the magic bullet, and it's not a magic bullet. It's the first step. We all have what we, could, what we would call self-limiting behaviors, things that get in our way. And if you think of often to a goal that's out there, sometimes when we come to that very first barrier, we can't get any further because we, we can only see that, that first barrier. But that's just the first step. 
And if we engage in that and engage with God in that, we address that one. And maybe we even fail at it at first. But our perspective of what failure looks like changes if we do it in the, with the perspective of God helping us along the way. Instead of looking at it going, see, I tried it before and I just failed. Instead, we look at it and we go, all right, that didn't go how I wanted it to, but what did I learn? See, that's a big difference. Just taking that one simple example the first step towards, say, healing a relationship. And you've tried to heal that relationship many, many times before, looking at it differently and going, what's my first step? What can I do to begin to address that? That's the first one. The second one is to trust God's love and his power. Here's the thing. God will always, without fail, take it to the bank, want what is best for your relationship with him. However, that does not necessarily mean what is easiest for you. You've had a lot of people that you trusted that let you down. I may have been one of them. I have relationships in this room. I'm sure I'm letting them down at at some point. And if they want to sit down, I can tell them how they let me down. But we won't talk about that. (laughs) Remember that God always wants what's best, even if it doesn't seem like it's the easiest. Whoever you count as your greatest friend, they aren't your greatest friend because they tell you yes anytime you want to hear it. You need no people in your life. You need people that are going to hold you accountable. And one of those that will hold you accountable, the one who will hold you more accountable than any, is God himself. But through Christ, he always is going to want what is best for you. Which leads to the third point. You've got to sense his presence. And that's tough sometimes. To feel as if in the times when things are hardest, that God is closest. Feels like just the opposite, right? When things are really hard, oh, the distance, I can't, it's going to be, it takes a telescope to see him from here. And yet we know when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Scripture tells us that. But I, I need some way to, to bring that alive. And, and I used this, this example in a, uh, in a message several years ago. Some of the people who have been in this room are repeating it. For, uh, they've, they've heard it before. I think it's a good way how to sense the presence of God. Whatever your biggest issue is right now, and if you've got a list of them, great. It works for this too. Take two chairs. Put one here and put one here, and you sit in one of them. And when you sit in the chair, imagine that God's in the other one. And unload on him. No these or thous. Nothing like that. Don't worry about how you say it unload. Tell everything that's on your mind. He knows it anyway, so why not share it? But you empty the chamber and tell everything that you want about the frustration that you have or the problem, okay? I don't want you to get out of the seat till you're exhausted. And when you're done, stand up, walk over, and sit in the other chair. But now that's God. And you're going to sense God's presence. And what you want to do, and I think it's even want to do this verbally, is, is share the words that you hear. So let's say that it's been a relationship that's just been terrible, and you, oh, you want revenge so badly. You want revenge. You want them to feel the pain that you've been feeling. So you empty that out, and then you get up and sit down. If you're able to sit there and on behalf of God go, yeah, let's go get them. <laughs> oh, let's get revenge. I've had an eternity to think about this. I know how we can really level them. 
It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If you, if you really sense God's presence, there are going to be words. There's going to be direction. There's going to be first steps that you can possibly, that you, that you can take. You have to sense, we have to sense God's presence. And the last one is practice patience and purpose. Oh, you're really hoping I wouldn't use the word patience, right? Mm. That was one you didn't want to hear. I don't like that word either, too. But let's not even talk about the sense of patience. Let's just focus on purpose, because if we can sense the purpose, maybe the patience is going, is going to come. This is going to be an odd way to, uh, to get to there, but I don't like height. I don't like height. Love being in an airplane. Love being in roller coasters. Can't figure that out. But I can be in like a downtown, like if I'm in downtown Chicago and look up at tall buildings, I just get this weird anxiety. I just don't like to be up high, which is why we live in a one-story ranch with a very, you know, not, not much of a pitch on the roof. I can get up there, clean up the, uh, the gutters, and I actually like being up there because you can see everything. We live over kind of near, uh, uh, near North High School, and so there, there's North Christian, the, the steeple, and, and you, know, you can look into the, everyone's backyards and what they're doing, and that sounds really weird, and I shouldn't have said that, and uh, so I take that back. Uh, <laughs> But, but I like being up there and, and seeing the p- full perspective on things. And you know what? When you're up there, everybody just seems happy and they're going about their lives and there's order and there's beauty and I don't know, it just feels different. But you know what? Just like Jesus said to James and John and Peter when they're up on the, up on the summit, sometimes you've got to go back down. But go up there where the view's unimpeded and try and see the bigger picture. The struggle will still be here, but maybe you can see the goal from up there. Look beyond what and try and see why. And and find some way to do that again in the midst of your problems. I don't care if you have to really climb up on a ladder and go, I can see the purpose from here. I know that there are a lot of things that stand in the way. We're going to deal with those later, but I'm going to see what it is that I am supposed to accomplish from this rooftop. Find purpose, and I think patience will come a little bit easier. So 2024 is upon us, and I don't know whether you are a resolution sort of person or not. Do you feel helpless, or do you feel hopeful? Are you filled with pain, or do you sense some promise? Does tomorrow look exhausting, or exciting. The perspective may depend on how big God looks to us when we're tackling life's very biggest problems. Let's pray. Father God, wherever, whatever our station in life is on, on, on this day, and, and I'm sure it's across the board and there are people in this room that are hurting beyond belief, and there are others that, that really sense your presence and, 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 and are most thankful right now for where you have them and the relationship with you, and we're everywhere in between. Father, I ask that they really do are able to sense your presence. And you know, tomorrow's just a, a really another day. I realize we put a special importance, and it's a, for new beginnings. Hey, so be it if that be the case. Well, regardless, Father, let tomorrow be a newer day with more excitement, with there's more, where there is more sense of what the purpose is. And the complexity of those problems that are in front of them, Father, help us accept that complexity. 
realizing that life's complicated, that's okay. That's also for some of the richness that you bring to it. But Father, help us tackle it. Help us start out and look at that year ahead of us and look at those problems and realize that there are opportunities and there are opportunities because our God is bigger than those problems. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.